and I'm your brother, Fireman Diesel Ogaya, and welcome to the Class War Battlefield Podcast. When I started this show in 2011, my goal was to inform, inform, inform. Obviously, the show has evolved, a lot of new topics, a lot of new thoughts, taking on metaphysics, some spirituality, hitting you with all types of things that you may have never heard of, and some that you have. It's always lively. But now I'm coming to you to ask you to help me prolong this podcast. For years, I have been producing this podcast for free on your behalf. I am now coming to you to ask you to support this work. whatever you can do, please do. Now, the definition. Definition. Hi, Mr. Beat here. I'm white. Seriously, my skin color is white. Well, technically like peach, but... I belong to a human group that can trace their ancestry to Europe with mostly lighter skin color. And I probably didn't have to tell you that because you can see me right now, unless you're blind. Anyway, I bring this up because you may come across some xenophobic messaging when you're doing your thing on the old internet. You all remember what xenophobia is, right? Go back to Ireland, you dumb mix! You remember that, you frog He's back the food, Patty! It's the fear of people from other countries. Now, even though this messaging is xenophobic, it's sneaky. In fact, it's terribly good at manipulating us. Despite being full of crap, and despite it probably going against everything you value and believe. I even fell for it. And I'm supposed to be smart. By the way, I'm not that smart. I just pretend to be smart on YouTube. But anyway... A few years ago, I noticed a bunch of folks who identify as white started bringing up something called the The Great Great Replacement. Replacement. Put simply, the Great Replacement theory says that too much immigration of non-white folks to countries that are mostly made up of white folks is bad. Not only that, those who promote the Great Replacement theory argue that welcoming immigration policies for non-whites are part of a plot meant to either weaken or replace the political power and culture of white people living in Western countries. When I say Western countries, it's not just Europe I'm talking about. I'm also talking about the Americas, Australia, and New Zealand. By the way, you might want to check out my video about Western values when you get a chance. Eh? Simply put, the Great Replacement is the alleged replacement of whites by non-whites. It often overlaps with a larger theory called the White Genocide Conspiracy Theory, which revolves around the beliefs that powerful people are trying to prevent whites from having kids. Often the conspiracy is blamed on, you guessed it, Jewish people. This theory is manipulative because it equates normal patterns of immigration with murder. It's trying to put a big equal sign between the new Salvadoran or Syrian who lives down the street and a mental image of a concentration camp. Now, obviously, if they literally did that, then you and I wouldn't fall for the messaging. Therefore, the messengers have to be a little bit more subtle about it. And lately, they've gotten pretty good 
at manipulating us. Here's the thing though, not only are those who preach about the Great Replacement Theory manipulating us, but as it turns out, the entire theory is bullcrap. It's, uh, literally not backed by evidence at all. There is no secret plot to get rid of white folks, but let's just say that there was. Well, they must be doing a pretty poor job, eh? Since there are more white folks now than ever before. You might be thinking, well, duh, Mr. Beat, but whites represent a smaller percentage of the proportion of the world. Well, who counts as white isn't based on genetics or even demographics. It's based on politics. In the United States, for example, Irish Americans, Italian Italian Americans and Polish Americans weren't considered white until the early 1900s. Greek Americans weren't white until just a few decades ago. Some Arab Americans used to be considered white, but by the end of the 1900s were no longer considered white. Even though race isn't a biological reality, it has still been a way for people in power to divide us up over the years. Not only that, immigration is simply currently not high enough, nor will it likely ever be, to make it so that skin color values or culture will completely change in one country. Sure, there will be demographic changes, and there already has been, but there is no evidence that these recent demographic changes have dramatically changed the dominant culture and values of any one country. We often just see cultural assimilation. Oh, cultural assimilation? is the process in which a minority culture gets absorbed into the dominant culture of a society. Not that that matters, as these immigrants already share American values. That's why they're coming here. And the different cultures they bring are almost always beneficial to American society. Also, most immigrants, and especially their children, assimilate peacefully into the existing culture, which, by the way, is constantly changing anyway, and has always been multicultural. This is no surprise to me, as I've had many students who were the kids of immigrants, but if I didn't know they were the kids of immigrants, I would have assumed that their family had been in this country for many generations. So then it just comes down to skin color, and if you're really concerned that skin colors of all humans in your society might change, have you ever stopped to ask yourself, why? Skin pigmentation is highly correlated with distance from the equator. That's right. The random lottery of how far you are from this line determines what color you get to be. The primary pigment in human skin is melanin, which is used to protect us from the sun. Just because your friend Jessica doesn't get sunburnt as often as you doesn't make her any less human. More than that, this distribution of colors has changed a lot over over human history, and Europeans from even just 8,000 years ago looked dramatically different than they do today. Keep in mind that for the vast majority of human history, humans with lighter skin pigmentation have not existed. So who came up with the Great Replacement Theory? Well, apparently this dude came up with a modern concept of the Great Replacement Theory. Renu Camus, a French writer who at least popularized the term with a couple books, the first of which came out in 2010. Camus argued that white Europeans were being disproportionately replaced by immigrants from Africa and the Middle East, which could lead to the, quote, extinction of whites. Camus particularly was afraid of of Muslim immigration, arguing they often had a much higher birth rate than whites. Even though around 40% of Muslims identify as 
you know, white, but I digress. It's not surprising that white supremacists were attracted to Camus' Great Replacement Theory, but incredibly it became fairly mainstream by the time I first encountered it in this 2017 video by, oh, what was her name? Northern? Warren Northern? Yeah, I think that was it. Well, the video has since been taken down, but still, back in 2017, it did very well, and just Warren casually bringing up the theory like it ain't no thing was surprising. It was proof that Camus had given white supremacists a powerful argument to use, even if that argument was false. Since then, his followers have described immigration as an invasion, and they generally promote the idea that non-white immigrants, whatever that means, have dramatically different values than whites, and are trying to erase white culture. Isn't it just another version of xenophobia? I mean, yeah. Basically. Yeah, before Camus popularized his Great Replacement Theory, going back more than 100 years before that in France, there was a nationalist, anti-non-white immigrant movement brewing there. In fact, in most of the Western world, going back to the 1800s, there have been similar movements, especially due to the increase of immigrants to the Western world from African and Asian countries. Because of this xenophobia, many people in Western countries called for nativism, or the policy of protecting native-born citizens over immigrants. Xenophobia hasn't always been about skin color. In the United States, for example, many nativists hated the Irish, Catholics, Jewish people. This is what led to groups like the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, goodness gracious. But the Great Replacement Theory is different in that it has found widespread appeal online. Media-savvy white supremacists have been successful making it appealing to people who are, um... Definitely not white supremacists. This might be because now they say great replacement instead of white genocide. Even a member of Congress, Steve King of Iowa, endorsed the theory. The scariest thing about this being so mainstream is that it has led to violence. A lot of it. In 2011, this guy from Norway wrote a 1,500-page manifesto explaining his fear of white ethnic replacement by migrants from the Middle East and North Africa. He then killed 77 in a terrorist attack. In 2018, this guy from Pennsylvania posted online that Jews were responsible for the Great Replacement and they needed to be killed. He then went on to kill 11 people in a synagogue in Pittsburgh. Some of those were Holocaust survivors. The next year, this guy from Texas also wrote a manifesto that said he was going to defend his country from a, quote, cultural and ethnic replacement brought on by an invasion of Hispanics. He then went on to kill 23 people at a Walmart in El Paso. And then, of course, the Buffalo shooting, which happened while we made this video, also was inspired by the Great Replacement Theory. Now, obviously, not everyone who falls for these lies will commit a mass murder. But anyone, including me and you, can fall for great replacement theory messaging since they use manipulative tactics to make false claims sound plausible. And if we're not careful and critical, we can be manipulated and, and heck, we could even be radicalized by this stuff. 
For the rest of this video, we're going to look at how people fall for the Great Replacement Theory and look at how you can avoid falling for it too. Those who tend to promote the Great Replacement Theory often use the same talking points. They are all bullcrap, but persist anyway. Talking point number one. Biology is destiny. It's manipulative because when we hear biology, we think, oh, it's science, so it has to be legit, right? This one says that culture is genetically determined and that genetic features predetermine cultural traits. For example, they might say that all of the problems in the African-American community and in all of Africa are rooted in inferior genetics or culture. In other words, they say that black people inherently are less intelligent or more likely to be violent. It's bullcrap. It's been disproven by decades of scholarly research. For example, many outcomes from measures of intelligence to violence are driven by socioeconomic status and income inequality. There is absolutely no evidence that biology is the driving factor. For example, African Americans perform similarly to other Americans when given access to the same opportunities. Talking point number two. We are brave to speak the truth and the normies are cowards. It's manipulative because it's fun to be in a secret club and have access to secret information. Basically, this one says that people with racist beliefs are actually countercultural truth-tellers. They're not sheep who conform. Yeah, if conforming means not being racist, I think we ought to conform then. And for people who don't conform, they sure use the same talking points a lot. Talking point number three, diversity is conflict. It's manipulative because the vast majority of us fear conflict. And this one says that diversity automatically causes conflict. It often relies on cherry picking evidence and studies to back up its claim. It's bullcrap. There is plenty of research that actually shows that diversity enriches societies, even in the ways the haters claim to care about. For example, diverse groups of problem solvers often outperform groups of high performers on really tough problems. And that makes sense because tough problems need new perspectives. It's how we got automatic elevator doors, basketball, and the iPhone. That's right. That thing you're watching this video on right now wouldn't exist without diversity. Talking point number four. Whites are being exploited. It's manipulative because people naturally don't want to be taken advantage of. This one says whites are victims of diversity and says that whites are being taken advantage of by non-whites and, quote, race traitors or whites that don't have these views. They argue that it's natural for humans to act in the interest of their own race, even at the expense of others outside of their group. It's bullcrap. Remember, powerful people created the whole idea of race in order to divide us and to justify their place at the top of social hierarchies. Also, how exactly are whites being exploited? This is manipulative because it points to a vague threat to make you feel scared, yet doesn't provide good evidence of specific exploitation of whites. And remember, humans cooperating and working together is what built, you know, all of human history. Talking point number five. 
Things used to be so much better. It's manipulative because we generally all love nostalgia or an emotional connection to a period in the past. This one tries to inspire nostalgia for an imaginary past when things were better and tradition was respected. In particular, this talking point revolves around the myth that, quote, racial purity used to be a thing and that racial groups used to live separately and because of that, things were we're better. It's bullcrap. All modern humans originated from Africa. Different groups of humans have always interacted and new ethnic groups have formed and evolved throughout human history. Talking point number six. The Jews are to blame. Yeah, do I really have to explain this one? I made a whole video on the history of anti-Semitism, if you also want to check that one out. There are also things to watch out for, what I call Great Replacement Theory Red Flags. Those who tend to promote the Great Replacement Theory also use shocking images to dehumanize non-whites. They bring up IQ a lot. They bring up Marx, as in Karl Marx, and they bring up cultural Marxism a lot. They bring up open borders a lot. They often refer to migration as an invasion. They tend to talk trash about diversity and multiculturalism. They tend to use certain rhetorical strategies to make radical views seem not so radical at all. Probably the most common rhetorical strategy is limited framing. Limited framing is usually applied in videos in which the host on screen will put boundaries on the discussion to make someone with crazy views seem more reasonable. Basically, they leave out the more controversial stuff and focus on the less controversial stuff they are saying. Like that Warren Northern video I mentioned earlier. And to deflect a bit and to convince you that their opinions are not so crazy after all, they'll say things like, people are saying, if you get angry at their opinions, they might say, you mad bro, to attempt to make it seem like you're overreacting, or weak. They present their information as if they are giving the uncomfortable truth that is a threat to the elites, or the establishment, or the new world order, or the globalists, or even just they. They'll say, you have been lied to, or title their videos something along the lines of the truth about immigration, or the real history of immigration, to defend themselves. They'll often say, I'm just asking questions, or attack you for not being open-minded enough. Overall, they rely heavily on logical fallacies. Here's a video I made about logical fallacies, by the way. So what is that now? Three videos to watch after this? That's a lot of homework. And finally, Great Replacement Theory promoters often use memes. Seriously. In fact, memes are a big reason why the Great Replacement Theory has spread in recent years. So let's look at some memes and see if you can spot these Great Replacement Theory red flags. Oh uh, yeah, first of all, this is literally a limited frame. The person who put this together wanted you to believe that this photo was of men from Afghanistan fleeing the country to the United States after it fell to the Taliban in the summer of 2021. However, and I had to do a lot of digging to find this out, this photo is actually a group of immigrants returning to Afghanistan from Turkey in 2018. What helped me researching it is 
is doing a reverse image search of the photo, and I suggest you do the same whenever you come across any photo that gets you fired up. So the first red flag is the picture. Next, of course, there's the red flag of calling accepting refugees into a country an invasion. Two red flags right off the bat with this one. One again is that word, invading. And second is the shocking image to dehumanize. This also hits at talking point number three. Diversity is conflict. This picture was circulated, claiming to be a picture of refugees fighting with police in Germany in 2015 at the height of the refugee crisis. It was used to manipulate people into being afraid of refugees. Well, the picture was actually taken in 2012 and had nothing to do with the refugee crisis. There's the IQ red flag, of course, and then they just show a picture of supposedly French black people, although I couldn't find where this picture originated from. And so who knows where these people are actually from? And they're not even really trying that hard anymore. They're just showing a picture of black people next to unsubstantiated text. Folks can't even stand peacefully without these manipulators looking for a way to weaponize their image. Hey, I can do that too, see? I could write literally anything. It doesn't make it true. And while that link at the bottom goes to a real study, it has nothing to do with rising immigration in France, but how many people would actually click on it to look at that study? Probably not many, okay? This also hits at talking point number one, biology is destiny. This fits the formula of giving the uncomfortable truth that is a threat to the elites, or in this case, they. Who are they, by the way? I've always wanted to know who they were. Anyway, this also hits talking point number one, biology is destiny, talking about, quote, third worlders, and talking point number four, whites are being exploited. Oof, this one is especially horrendous. Talking point number four, whites are being exploited. Talking point number six, the Jews are to blame. And a bunch of stuff about IQ and Marx. And there's the giving of the uncomfortable truth that is a threat to the elites. So here is a picture of the mayor of the London borough of Camden. She is the first black mayor of Camden and no, is not a supremacist of any kind. What I particularly found fascinating about this one is that the meme implies she needs to be deported back home. Well, um... <laughs> I guess deport her to Camden then, since she's lived there her whole life? There are many, many more examples I found online, but at this point, I'm just getting worn out by all the fear and hate. So let's just wrap this up. The bottom line is the Great Replacement Theory is still a big movement because its proponents have done well to play on the natural fears people have of economic and social instability and just change in general. In case you haven't noticed, things haven't been all peachy for the majority of us lately. The world has plenty of problems. Often, it's easier for us to just place blame on certain groups, and groups that are less like us are easy targets. So what can you do? do in response to Great Replacement Theory manipulation. Number one, 
Probe the point. Does the content use one of these common talking points that are not backed by evidence? Number two, fish for flags. Are there any red flags present? Like regular mentions of IQ, use of words like invasion and shocking images? Number three, Resist the rhetoric. Is there use of a rhetorical strategy like limited framing, reference to a mysterious elitist majority they, or use of logical fallacies? And number four, mind the meme. Remember that memes are easy to share but difficult to fact check. Make sure to reverse image search to understand a picture's true context and do your own research before you share a meme yourself. These are some small steps you can take to make sure that you don't fall for this messaging. And in general, make society a safer and more peaceful place for all of us. Speaking of all of us, we can't be replaced because humans reproduce. Uh, we just make more humans. Class war, class war, class war. Now, Jim, show this gentleman how you can dance and sing. Towards the Western powers. If you want to say there's no rules, fine. Don't go crying for your mummy when that comes. America today finds herself in a unique situation. She's the only country in history in a position to become involved in a bloodless revolution. If America does not respond creatively to the challenge to banish racism, some future historian will have to say that a great civilization died because it lacked the soul and commitment to make justice a reality for all men. When the system doesn't work for the majority of the people, you gotta change the system. Hello ladies and gentlemen, I am your brother Brian Verity Sokaya. This is class, this is a class war battlefield podcast episode. Support my work. Cash app. Dollar sign CWB Podcast. You can also hit me up on PayPal. That's CWB Podcast on PayPal. Let's talk about this idea of white genocide and the need to revise um, to revise uh, history. Understand. Understand. European Americans, white people. And by the way, those of you who keep coming at me with this idea that you're not European, understand a reality. When I ask you about your culture, you'll say American. But if you were comfortable with me, you would acknowledge that you were Italy or Polish or some other ish from Europe. You would acknowledge it because it's true. And that doesn't take anything away from you. I mean, everyone's happy and proud of where they come from. Uh, 
I think, though, looking at European history, even cursory, says that uh, there's a lot of trauma there. And a lot of so-called white people don't want to deal with that trauma. Because it exposes the fact that coming out of Europe, you were so beastly due to the things you had witnessed and you had been privy to, um, that you acted in an inhumane way to people who are acting humanely towards you. And for some, you know, extended period of time, I can find sympathy with that. I can absolutely find sympathy with that. Uh, child rape, which it was not called child rape in Europe, was normal. Um, wholesale murder of peoples for no good reason was normal. The escaping of people from crushing poverty, which was quite different because you can at least subsist during the feudal system in some aspects, uh, was impossible. But there were such stringent rules of what feudalism was that even the most lowly peasant person who, who struggled to get by had some assurances as I've stated before what a gold mine such people must have found themselves in when they appeared on a continent so rich with what they call natural resources as was North America and other places. For a devastatingly poor continent, which Europe was, to come upon people in the Caribbean who the Pope said were not human, who the kings of Europe didn't need much prodding to see them as not human. To come upon people who they deemed, Europeans deemed as less than them, with more things than they ever could dream of, with more wealth, with more prosperity, with more food than they ever could dream of. When they themselves had been had been basically part of the phrase masturbating to the idea that they were the greatest things in the world. They were here to save humanity. Now, I mean, that wasn't expressed uh, um, uh, audibly for a while, but you felt it in how they went across the world. My God is greater than your God. In many churches around the black community, they still sing that. My God is great. What are you doing? What are you doing, you imperialist? I mean, that is, that is the quintessential Roman creed. 
My God is greater than your God. I'm better than you. Your God is nothing compared to my God. Okay, well, why is that? Maybe it's because your God is bloodthirsty? Maybe because your God is cardinal? Maybe because your God is so rooted into the material world that a spiritual concept so blatantly necessary for the survival of a society as brotherhood and true fraternity in humanitarianism is lost on your God. Your God sees in principles of, of property. So much so that your God sees humans as not beings, but resources. And you and I have talked about resources before. What do they mean? A resource for Europeans is something that is meant to be exhausted until it collapses. Think about what that says about humans when you call a human a resource. And you have demonstrated that resources are only beneficial until they collapse and then you throw them away. You wonder why there's so many homeless in the United States. You wonder why there's not health care in the United States, free health care. You wonder why, why the United States spends so much on military and not enough on domestic priorities. Because their God believes that humans are worthless unless they're being utilized and crushed down into pulp. The Nazis took this concept and put it into practice. But you know where they learned it from? They learned it from the Europeans who had gone before them. who had gone out and built massive empires and destroyed millions of lives doing it. That's where they learned it from. But I digress. They saw these people and they saw the greatness of what they had built because their God believed in humanitarianism and brotherhood and fraternity and sorority. And I have to imagine in that moment, something snapped in Colombo or whatever the hell his real name is, Christopher Guy, the genocidal maniac who I imagine is locked in some dark place in the darkest regions of the void when he was treated like royalty by these people. These people who were supposed to be less than him treated him better than any European had ever treated him. And something snapped in him. I mean, he was already crazy as hell anyway. And he was going to perform genocide no matter what. But these, these, I, I could only imagine them. You know, these, these, these horrible cretins acting like they got any right to treat me like, I, like, like they're human. And he proceeded to show them that not only were they incorrect to treat beasts 
beasts like they were humans, but that he was determined to prove that he was a beast. And so started the imperial endeavors of Europe. Oh, well, we were not the only ones who had slavery. We were not the only ones who imperialized. If you can list, and I'll wait for you, I want you to list another civilization which imperialized around the world and did so with such a bloodlust fervor that even the representatives of the church that begun the bloodlust said, you are going a little too far here. I mean, there are beasts and everything, but Jesus, stop for a minute. You don't have to go this far. I mean, we thought Neanderthals were dead. Come on. <laughs> when a church who literally starts the genocide stops you and says, you know something? We're rethinking this whole thing because you're just taking this a little bit too far. That says something about you. Look in the mirror. For all of you subscribers to the white supremacist myth, look in the mirror with that single point. Because that's an interesting point. Now you have two things that you can do with what I just told you. Two things. Two things only. You can accept it or you can reject it. Many of you subscribers to the white supremacist myth, you reject it. And you try to revise it. I'll give you a great example of the revision that's taken place. And shout out to Status Quo who brought this to my attention. There is a move within the alt-right to rebrand the help that the Europeans surely received upon arriving in or excuse me, on what would they what they would call North America. To rebrand the help that they received from the native indigenous people living there, who they would then genocide by their disease and their attacks and their refusal to remain on the partial land that was given to them because they know not how to share. There is an attempt to rebrand that in terms that lessens the impact of the native indigenous people and their contributions to the survival of those Europeans who had landed. There is an attempt to completely overhaul it. an attempt to completely overhaul it. To make it look like they walked onto those shores without ever knowing anything about that soil and suddenly started to create agricultural miracles. 
Do you know how foolish that sounds? Do you know how egotistical that sounds? I mean, there is a time period, and this is what they're hearkening back to, when Europeans literally propagated the fact that bringing in Africans from Africa was a chore because the Africans had nothing that they could contribute to the societies which they were being brought into, when in fact they were deliberately picking people who they knew were good at agriculture. And in some instances, many instances, I apologize for that, especially to my African siblings, in many instances, they were picking people who they knew had a tradition of not only agriculture, but of various other skills that the Europeans themselves lacked. Now, there's a little bit of... um. Uh, there's a little bit of discussion going on about why they did this. I've heard a couple of different arguments about, you know, the Europeans' decision to enslave Africans. One, one point that was made was the Moors, who were a, black, uh, a North uh, African black uh, nation, had invaded Europe and had been instrumental in creating the Renaissance. After the Europeans forced them out, now you would say, well, wait a minute, if they were instrumental in creating the European Renaissance, why would they force them out? Because they were not European. And because the Europeans did not want um, to be ruled over by a foreign um, a group, which makes sense. But nonetheless, they were instrumental in bringing about the Renaissance. Something, by the way, I believe, because when people used to talk about the Renaissance, they would say, well, something happened and suddenly people started becoming enlightened. And what I've learned over the last 15 plus years is when Europeans typically say something happened and this happened, usually that something involves somebody non-European or non-white coming in and helping them reach their potential. This, in this instance, it was the Moors. From seeing what the Moors did, the Europeans were encouraged, this is the argument, to go into Africa, at the outskirts of Africa, to take more black people to help with their budding empires. Because they knew that Africans, despite what they've said over the years, they weren't lazy. They actually were very, very... um. Uh, ingenuity-laden and industrious. And they needed that. Especially as they moved beyond their borders. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. But it is quite interesting to consider. The other side, the other side is that through interactions with tribes on the coast of Africa, they discovered what African, what African tribes were um, embattled with other African tribes and were like, yo, we'll buy the people who you capture. We'll buy the people who, who you capture. And they did. And they did. Now, why do I bring up all this? I bring it up because this is actually what's being fought against. But also... White people have always been 
very um, industrious with how they use the people that they have at their disposal. Now, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, I'm gonna lay this down for you. For all the white nationalists out there talking about, oh well, you know, these these heathen black people would have never this that that and this. If black people really were as lazy as y'all say, and we didn't do nearly the type of amount of work that you say, why would you have kept going and getting us? Hmm? Why would you have literally, literally, after, after England banned the um, slave trade, you still had pirates being paid by English merchants to go into Africa and to take Africans and sell them to the colonies. Was it just because it was lucrative? Well, why was it lucrative? To say that something is lucrative just because, oh, well, you make money. Um, it was lucrative because they worked. Because they worked. And you could work them to death and it didn't matter. Smells a lot like the Romans. You could work them to death and it didn't matter. Moreover, they were hard workers. The Europeans who you tried to get to do the work that you wanted the Africans to do, one, wasn't built for it. Too scrawny. Two, as everybody acknowledged, when you were especially working in the hot summer sun in the south, Europeans couldn't have it. They blistered too much. Moreover, they were prone to exhaustion quicker than the Africans. So, all of this nonsense, all of this nonsense about, about taking black people out of the history to make yourselves look bigger, it's, it's, it's trippy. It's, it's trippy. It's terribly, terribly trippy. And maybe that is why white people were hesitant to actually legalize marijuana. is because the damage that it does to some white people's brains is not worth the effort. But that's just my, you know, that's something that I'm thinking about. Moving on. The funny thing about white genocide... You know, these, these white nationalist people, they're all worried. Black folks are going to replace us. I have bad news for you, my man. And my women's. Uh, y'all are a minority on this planet. I've talked about this before. But you are. You're a minority on this planet. What did you think was going to happen? You know, you guys like to look at a lot of German history. Maybe you need to go and look at Roman history. One of the problems with the Romans, and I know most of you only look at this one way, that it, is the, it was the problem of the Vandals and the other groups that, that they invaded the Romans. No, it was the Romans who refused to stop expanding. Most of you really honestly do not understand that the Roman Empire was made up of mostly people who were non-Roman. Meaning what? The culture, the Roman culture, was mostly non-Orthodox Roman. It was non-ancient 
Roman, and especially when they brought Greece in. Contrary to popular opinion, Greece's um, uh, art-based culture was significantly more advanced and better than Rome. The reason they were conquered was because their political system just degraded, as did the Romans. The reason the Roman culture, in other words, changed was because it couldn't help it. Especially when they started giving, and I know many white supremacist subscribers like to point to this as the downfall for America. Especially when they started giving citizenship to non-Roman people. But, for those of you who are like, see, he even admits it, he even admits it, we have to not, yeah, stop it, stop it. If you're going to conquer a people who are not your own, obviously that's who you'd conquer. In order to build a widespread empire, that means you're going to be dealing with a lot of people who have cultural cues that are significantly different than yours. Sooner or later, and this is something that the Romans had to face, Sooner or later, what you're going to come up against is you either start offering citizenship to the people who you need to administer those faraway lands, or you let those lands go because the people are going to rebel against you as long as they see you as different than themselves. By offering citizenship to at least the middle and upper class, or in the Romans' case, mostly the upper class, what you did, or what they did, was they tried to fold in these different cultures and these different regions without appreciating the fact that as you try to do that, there is going to be cultural integration. And the aspects of the Roman society, which were not good for, for the longevity of not only the Romans, but the Roman Empire and the Roman culture, they were going to be replaced by better more qualified, more tested, more integrative cultural cues from those cultures who the Romans conquered. In the United States, all of you like to point to the mess that is black culture. All of you subscribers to the white supremacist myth like to point to the um, mess that is the black culture. But the funny thing is, the modern black culture is not the same black culture that was around in the 1960s, 1970s, which most of you have problems with, because you don't know our culture, or even the 1980s and for a bit in the 1990s. You know what this modern black culture is the result of? Your people not being able to keep your hands off of our cultural cues, especially the ones that you thought you could make money off of. Modern day hip-hop is a joke compared to where it was 30 years ago. Because modern day hip-hop today is built from a white corporate perspective, which has no vision. The same is true for a lot of your Hollywood materials that are coming out now. They are not built surrounding African cues that were big back in the 80s and the early 90s. They're built around black cues that have been well-tested in white academia and in, in white corporate board uh, spaces. You have nobody to blame but yourself for the state of black culture. 
Nobody. We asked you to keep your hands off of our culture. We begged you to keep your hands off our culture. And you couldn't do it because you are so absolutely convinced that you are gods and we are not. That you couldn't perceive how messed up things would get when you started mucking with something that was so above your head that you couldn't even grasp what it was. And by the way, for those of you who don't know, this also applies to our modern environmental problems. Big up to my brothers, the Hopis. Big up to my brothers, the Iroquois. Big up to the Lakota. Big up to the Ayuts. Big up to all of my indigenous people. I apologize for the ones that I do not know. If you have an, an indigenous name right now, I'm going to give you a moment of silence. Yell it out. Big up to you. Big up to your family, your elders, your tribes. Big up to the world that you are desperately needed to create. We need you. We need you. We need the resurrection of the great conference of indigenous people from the tip of North America to the south of North America. Wait a minute. From the tip of North America to the tip of South America. I apologize. We need all of you. Because we need to remake this world. And you can help us do it. To the subscribers of the white supremacy myth, note, in the 1990s, when that song by Inya, Anya, which, I don't know, either way, Return to Innocence came out, The native indigenous people were calling y'all together. And I remember watching one of these gatherings on YouTube. It was frightening. Because they were trying to tell you that your actions were going to have severe consequences for the stability of this planet. And the reason I said the one that I watched was frightening was because these people were dead. They were walking dead people. I have never seen in one place so many spiritually devoid people in my life. Now, for those of you who are like, dead, dead, oh my God, you're talking about, mm, get your mind, see, this, this is the problem with the despiritualized mind. You do not understand the word dead in relationship to spirituality. The body can be animated. And the soul won't be there. This room was filled with a bunch of people who were just blatantly soulless. They could care less what this native elder was telling them. I often think that it is the, the reason why this current generation is so hard-pressed to do away with a lot of the things that the last two generations, I'm sorry, not the millennials, but the two generations before that have done, is because they see the despiritual nature of those generations and have said, we can't use what they've done. They've already caused enough damage. One of the elders told him, you are going to release things 
into the environment that are going to look like they are fabulous, they're wonderful, they're going to do great things. But in one to two generations, maybe he goes, maybe in one to two generations, that's the native indigenous elder's way. Maybe in one to two generations, it won't be so good. Maybe it'll cause starvation amongst your children. Maybe in one to two generations, it's not so good. Maybe it'll cause yields to decrease. We are actually seeing that around the country and around the world. As I speak to you presently, there is a severe concern in the mid-west and west that some of the largest dams and rivers in that area are going to get to a point where they won't be able to provide um, water to millions, tens of millions of people. All because of not the mismanagement of water, but I subscribe to you the incapacity for the subscribers to the white supremacy myth to understand that thing called the planet Earth, which they seek to have dominion over. What do I mean? Big up to Karen Hunter, Dr. Greg Carr, Dr. Obatashaka, Dr. Jared Ball, the bougie academic, Brother Kajonga. You know how it is. Luke My Nation, Burn It Down Kim, the whole black power media. The reason that they didn't understand it is because they do not see that this planet is alive. That's one thing that I have to give James Cameron some credit on, is he put that in his movie, and most people didn't understand what he was talking about. He drew inspiration from indigenous people throughout the world. Now, the only thing that I don't like about James Cameron's movie is the white, white savior myth. Even It was bad in the first movie. It's worse in the second. In the second, there's literally a, a white woman who dies, comes back as one of the, um, the avatars, and has greater power than the avatars who have been doing the work. White, a, a white savior myth, so terribly, terribly used. I would have hoped he would have gotten over that, but whatever. Let me, for those of you who do not know, let me drop some knowledge to you on the planet that you're trying to um, subdue. When you see a tree, you only see a tree. That's because you are materialistic. This planet is alive. When you see a tree, you are seeing an aspect of communication by the planet from the ground to the sky. That's what you're seeing, especially the large ones. But even the small ones, this creates a web of life. This creates a web of life where the smaller ones communicate to the extent that they have to with the larger ones, and the larger ones communicate with the sky, and the sky 
communicates with everything else. The same thing is true with the grass. The same thing is true with the brush. All of it is connected. All of it checks each other. When storms happen, we talk about currents of storms and things like that. Currents often of, of, of um, water in the sky often depend on how the planet is moving, where it's situated to the sun, things like that. But also what happens is the trees literally will give off water into the atmosphere will give off, give off water into the atmosphere. And it's quite interesting because the trees will purify the water and in some instances desalinate the water, send it up into the atmosphere, and then when the trees themselves are told by those at the bottom, hey, we, we, we're getting a little bit dry down here, man. We need, we need some water. The trees hit the sky and say, I need some water down here. And, boom, boom, you get rain. Now, for those of you who are like, oh, come on, there's a more technical reason. I mean, you're missing this part and you're missing that part. Your technical reason doesn't even account for the fact that the trees communicate with the sky. It doesn't even. Your technical reason accounts for things that you think you can control. That's what your technical reasoning is about. Can I control it? Not can I, but should I, right? Now, before I end, I got to get back to the whole white genocide thing because, you know, obviously I've went elsewhere. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The idea behind white genocide that you're being replaced, y'all have nobody, nobody to blame on that but yourselves. Do you not see that over the last 500 plus years, Africans, indigenous people throughout the world, they have sought to make a place for you to be comfortable in your own skin where you could prosper and you can be prosperously involved in creating a better world. And at every junction, when you had to choose whether or not to integrate yourself into humanitarianism and the prosperous organization for life, you chose to go against humanitarianism in that prosperous organization for life. Yes, some of you did not. But I have absolutely bad news for most of you. Even those that did not. Many of them still harbored the subscription to the white supremacist myth and were angered by the fact that when those children were born, many of them did not look like them. Many of them did not act like them. And so often... They sought to disrupt, disrupt that ability to, to, to integrate themselves back into humanitarianism 
in order to pass on the traits which those white people had gained through trauma, through execution, through a history of deprivation. And what that did was that interrupted their kids from having a strong humanitarian ethic. This is why a person like John Brown is looked upon as absolutely loony. Because John Brown recognized something. He was white. And he knew what white meant. And he said, if you're going to deal with these people, you can't treat them like they're humans. Because they ain't going to act like they're humans. you got to go after them with the same thing that they're going after you with. And until you recognize that, you ain't never going to get close to your freedom. And he went after them. And he was called crazy. Now what's funny about John Brown is that the same people who called him crazy used the same tactics that he used to try and displace the people who were against enslavement. They used violence, they used murder, they used intimidation. But they weren't the crazy ones. John Brown was. This is the paradox the contradiction within the white mind. This is the paradox and the contradiction within the white mind. Those who use violence against the invaders are crazy, but the invaders using violence to subdue those who they find are not. It, though, explains the doctrine that underscores these people who are promoting the idea of white genocide. White genocide for them is a rallying call to reinstate imperium. I mean, think about this, fam. Think about this. These folks who have a disdain for Mexicans and those who are coming into the United States trying to find work will not promote, and I always found this funny, they vote for Republicans who want to put tons of money into the military industrial complex and go all over the world to do dirt. But yet they want to complain about all the immigrants from South and Central America that are coming up. They don't want to solve the problem, which is making those people come up. Some of it is climate change, but a lot more of it is the fact that these people live in former colonies, which are typically run like they are corporate colonies now. And the United States backs those corporations who are running those societies like they are client states. Now, those who subscribe to the white supremacist myth, who have problems with the immigration from Central and South America, could stop it. All they have to do is promote policies that prevent those places from being ran as offshoots of corporations. But these are the same people who promote laissez-faire capitalism, which in their minds was the greatest achievement of Imperial Europe. Of Imperial Europe. Listen to what they say when they talk about Imperial Europe. I'm sorry. I apologize. That was a that was a Freudian slip. Listen to what they say when they talk about laissez-faire capitalism or uh, libertarian capitalism. 
You can trace what they're talking about. You can trace what they're talking about back to not only the late 1800s, but the 1700s, the 1600s. That was what made us great. That was what made America really what it is today. So you're talking about dispossession of native indigenous people. You're talking about genocide of those people. You're talking about mistreatment of those people. You're talking about the trail of tears. You're talking about replacing those people with Africans who you abused, who you molested, who you raped. Not only just women either. You raped men too. Y'all don't like to talk about that. Who you murdered on mass, and then when finally, finally, you had to give them even an inkling of freedom, you did so with bonds still around their throats, and you treated them badly for another hundred years, and then you came up with malign neglect, thank you Democrats. This is what made you great. Psychopathic behavior made you great? Well, make America gringo again, I guess. Hmm? Hmm? Make America gringo again. The gringo is crazy. He like his money. He love his money. He hates everything else, but he love his money. But, but. I ain't picking on nobody, y'all. My dad has some Jamaican in him. <clears throat> but, I mean, seriously, think about that. That's what made him great. Psychopathic behavior. There's a book called The Wisdom of Psychopaths. What does it say when you characterize and color your best days? which demonstrated psychopathy at its highest levels as that thing which made your civilization great. What does it say? I'll tell you what it says. You're in for some dark days because what did Dr. King say? The arc of the moral universe is long but it bends towards justice. In 1954, I think, um, 52, 55, one of them. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm completely off. In, um, yeah, in 1992, we hit 500 years. There was a prophecy amongst a tribe in Africa that's buoyed by another one in North America. And I'm pretty confident in South America and Southeast Asia. Which states, when 500 years has elapsed, two generations will not pass before the stranglehold, which devastated the planet, will be loosened and discarded. Either by dent of the populations that inhabit therein, 
or a series of catastrophic occurrences that will render those who strangled human potential to the brink of death unable to do so anymore. And then and only then will the rise of the human spirit be possible and then and only then will it occur. I'm confident somebody in the United States government knows about this prophecy. They've been acting like it for several years now. Two generations. On the short term level, 2040. 20 years of peace. I'm sorry, 2032 because 1992. 2032. That's the short because of 20 years of peace. I don't go with 20 years of peace. I go with 30 years of peace. And I don't go with 20 years of peace because even though I think the United States is going to have fallen significantly by 2032, I think more realistically for the planet to do what it must do and to continue doing the healing that it must do, um, I think 2052 is more likely what they were referencing. Y'all better understand what time it is. See, you may not like white... Uh, white supremacist subscribers, the subscribers to the white supremacist myth, as it was. You may not like those promoting white genocide, but they know something that a lot of black folks don't seem to want to know. Their days in the driver's seat of the planet are over. Not coming to an end, it's over. They just don't know it. A metaphysician that I used to follow a lot, I haven't in some time, um, talked about something very interesting. He talked about the, pro the process of disease elimination within the body. Most people don't understand that when the disease is doing its greatest damage to the body, you typically feel your best. You're not sick yet. But it is when your body starts fighting back that you may start to feel a little tired, and it is typically when your body is on the offensive and not only just on the defensive, it is literally working on cleanup operations that you feel your worst. In other words, it is when that disease is being chucked out that you feel your worst. This has in this this has an important lesson to teach us right now because we are feeling our worst. I'm not saying that the disease is almost over because capitalism is a disease. It's unnatural. It is going away. To the Congressional Black Caucus, we're, we're, we're capitalist. Okay, so I'm glad you, you applaud the enslavement of black people because that's what capitalism is, for those of you who don't know. But capitalism's going away. Millennials, Generation E, they're they have dedicated themselves to getting rid of it. It is going. You may not want to ex uh, accept that, acknowledge it, whatever, but it's happening. The disease of capitalism is going away. Jake Uger. It's going away, man. 
Oh, I happen to think that's what made... I'm glad you think, but you ain't thinking deep enough because the reason that your family was able to come over here and do what you were able to do was because you were white. So capitalism looks really good to you. Oh, well, I went to a school where there was a lot of black people and yada, 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 whatever. I'm glad you went to a spot where there were some black people who were making it. But if capitalism was really capable of producing the type of changes that this society needs, it's had 400 years to do it. It hasn't yet. And it's not because humanity doesn't try. It's not because humanity hasn't been able to make it work. No, it is because it is incapable of doing it. You judge a system by what it produces when it is at its most active and expansive. And when capitalism was at its most active and expansive, it produced horrible, horrible crippling poverty. It is done. And that's something else that the subscribers to the white supremacist myth have to deal with, is the fact that the system that they are relying on, the imperial system, the colonial system, which has been wrapped up in, in capitalism, it's done. It's done. And that's just not coming from my mouth. When Dr. King said the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, most white people did not realize that he was not talking about one day. He wasn't talking about two days. He wasn't talking about a month. He wasn't talking about a year. He was talking about a generation or two or three or four when injustice is so ingrained that it takes you literally two to three centuries to get to a point where it exhausts itself significantly, you are not going to reverse that impact in one or two generations. It's going to take three, four, five, or six. And that's the era that we are now in. A hundred years from now, this planet is still going to be re, um, rehabbing itself from the destructive damage of European imperialism and European genocide and European capitalism. It's still going to be healing itself from that. 200 years from now, I think there's going to be a lot of progress. We're going to be healing the planet, the environment in the next hundred years. We just have to make it through the next 60 or 70. And in 300 years, what was the fever of capitalism will be completely, if I, I don't want to say forgotten, but I think it'll be overcome. To those worried about white genocide, you have only yourself to blame. We've given you the opportunities to come forward and to join the human family. You have decided not to do that, so what happens to you is your own fault. By every means of the definition, it is your own fault. We will not kill you. We will not injure you. We won't have to. You are setting yourselves up for destruction. At the end of the day, that is a choice you make. We ain't following you. Even no matter how much you think we are, at the last moment you'll see the truth and it'll be too late. Questions, comments, concerns. 
you can always reach out to me. I know this one, this one was swinging here, y'all. This one was swinging here. Quickly. This is what I, this is what I really hope to do, um, with your support. This is really what I hope to do with your support. To do more in-depth, thorough content like this. Again, six to eight of these. I'd love to be able to do this within six months. I'd love to be able to have the $3,000 plus dollars that I'm hoping to raise every month from you. So I could do this work constantly and continuously. I do, um, I, I'm thinking every month I'll um, put up uh, how much you guys have given. So I can let you know how much more I need. Uh, because here's the thing, fam. There's a lot coming up. I have a ton of books that I actually want to start going through and reading, have the time to kind of dissect them, and then talk to you about the things that I'm extracting from them. Um, I have I have tons of ideas in my mind that I want to really do for Class War Battlefield Podcast. I also um, have another podcast that when I have time, I'm going to be kicking that into high gear. Um uh, that one's that one's going to be more edgier, uh, a lot more. I'm thinking interviews. Um, either way, CWB. That's Cash App. CWB. Put that dollar sign in front of it. Sorry. CWB podcast. CWB podcast. Put the dollar sign in front of it. Cash App it. Um, and then PayPal is also CWB podcast. CWB CWB podcast. That is Class War Battlefield podcast. Obviously, I am your brother, Vimeer Diesel Gaia. Questions, comments, concerns, reach out to me. I love hearing from you. Until the next one. Peace. There's a shadow on the faces of the men who sent the guns to the wars that are fought in where their business interest runs On the radio talk shows and the TV You hear one thing again and again How the USA stands for freedom And we come to the aid of a friend But who are the ones that we call our friends? These governments are killing their own Or the people who finally can't take anymore and they pick up a gun, or a brick, or a stone, and they're alone.